Trubisky trips to the right, Howard to his left. Trubisky out of the shotgun, four down lineman. Trubisky hands it off for Howard, crashing forward to the goal line, touchdown! Jordan Howard barreling into the purple paint for the opening score. Call your wives, call your daughters, call your sons, and call your mothers because we've got a lot to break down on the final day of 2018. Tanner Hoops with you on the Sports Pen ESPN UP and the ESPN UP app. My man Charlie Bramer in studio with us. Last show of 2018, man, it has gone quick, I tell you what. Jeez, pretty soon it's going to be a year I've been coming in here. Mm-hmm. Too bad I don't remember when it was I started coming in, though. A little longer than me. I guess, yeah, but um, I, I wish I knew the exact date because then I, I'd make you throw me a party or something, Tanner. It might be a Blake <laughs> question. He might have an idea. Right. Might yep. have to reach back out to Blake. Yep, good idea. Well, a plane to talk about here with New Year's Eve, but first, you got any New Year's Eve plans? What do they do up here in Marquette? I hear it's a place to be for New Year's. Is that right? That's what I've been hearing. That that must be the case if you're like a cool kid. I'm not a cool kid. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Well, it's not just New Year's Eve. It is Black Monday in the NFL for many coaches and execs. One-fourth of the NFL is without a head football coach right now. I was a little surprised some teams jumped the gun on Black Monday and got it going Sunday evening before Game 256 had even gone final. And we'll get to that, but first let's start with the teams that did make the playoffs and are keeping their head coaches. AFC, you've got Kansas City, New England, Houston, Baltimore, L.A., and Indianapolis in that order. NFC, it's New Orleans, Los Angeles, Chicago, Dallas, Seattle, and Philadelphia in that order. That's the playoff picture we've got for you. Charlie, I'm going to say this. A few weeks ago, do you remember, I had you on the day of the Chiefs-Rams Monday night football game, and I said they may give us the best game of the season, which... I think they did this year, at least in the regular season. But neither of those two will meet in the Super Bowl. I'd like to see them do it because I want to see it again. But we're going to get Breeze and Brady in the Super Bowl. And I still think that's true. I still think the Saints are going to run the table in the NFC as long as a road runs through the Superdome. And the Patriots got the two seed like they needed to. They're going to do it. Patriots are going to win the AFC. I would have said Houston if they would have got the two seed instead of New England. But they didn't. I don't think Houston can go into Foxborough and win three games to make the Super Bowl. That'd be a pretty, I mean, that'd be a pretty darn good matchup for mm-hmm. the Super Bowl. Couldn't argue with with that. I mean, just as far as, I mean, that's a good pick. That's just, you know, yeah. you can't really argue that. I'm seeing it as the Patriots will play the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, and it has to go through Arrowhead. I know it's tough to beat a team twice. They had a great game in Foxborough this year that New England won on Sunday Night Football, but I don't see the Chiefs getting this done. For one thing, it's a new team. For another, defense has been the black eye for that squad. Now, the Ravens showed us a few weeks ago the best way to beat the Chiefs is to keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. Keep it on the ground, control time of possession, and keep their offense on the sideline. Same can be said, though, for Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. But which team is going to be able to run the ball better? Kareem Hutt's not there anymore. Huge loss for Kansas City. Nor should he be in the NFL, but certainly there's a talent drop-off. And New England, what are they on? They're on like their fourth running back by now, and they're still producing with that system Bilicek puts in. Sony Michelle and James White, who can catch the ball, by the way. James White is one of the one of the better pass catching backs in the NFL. Yeah, just another great Wisconsin running back. Yes, right? he yeah. is a former Badger, you bet. 
So they have a better run game. I don't know where they stack on offensive lines. I know that I might even say that the Chiefs have the advantage on the offensive line, but the Patriots still isn't bad by any means. I think the time possession is going to be the determining factor in the AFC Championship if the Patriots and the Chiefs play each other. That's why I'm going with the Patriots to win the AFC title game in Arrowhead and move on to Atlanta for the Super Bowl. Yeah, and and that, like I said before, that'd be a great matchup. What about um, you, if we're talking uh, field possession game? Let's look. Let's get real crazy with it and mm-hmm. look into their punters, huh? Who's got the better <laughs> punter? You get real weird with it, but and and that's what um, Pat McAfee was calling his first game for the NFL yesterday, the Packers Lions game. Mm-hmm. He was he emphasized the punters more than once. I guess <laughs> yes, we'll say. Yes, he did. Um, I thought he did a good job. What What did you think? I liked his call of Matt Prater's touchdown pass. Yeah. You know, there's some room to work with Pat McAfee. He's kind of like Tony Romo his first year. He's smart. His delivery's not great. There's places that he could improve on, and I don't know. Maybe things will pan out for him. I th- I think he'll stick. He's 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 real casual with it, and I think people like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think people enjoy that. They're not. Uh, he's kind of the antithesis of like uh Troy Aikman a little bit yeah and and even of uh Robert Smith who he was calling the Mm. game with that was funny they were kind of going back and forth for a while I'll tell you this though to go back to your point on Kansas City and New England who has the better punter I'd say Chiefs with Colquitt they have the advantage in that category yeah certainly and I don't even know who the Patriots punter is right now they they kind of go through special teams players um quite a bit uh, but yeah, Colquitt's been there it, with the Chiefs for a long time. He's been one of the best mm-hmm. for a long time now. How about this, Charlie? Tell me if you agree with me or not. When we look back at the 256 games in the NFL regular season this year, to me there are three single plays that stand out more than all the rest from this season that had the most impact on the playoff picture this year. You can agree or not, but here are my three. First, the Miami Miracle. A 70-yard Hail Mary for the Dolphins to knock off New England in Miami. If New England makes one of those tackles, if Gronk doesn't lose his balance, if he's not even back there and on that play in the first place, New England has the one seed right now. Number two, Daniel Carlson's missed field goal at the end of overtime against Green Bay when he was still a Viking back in week two. That cost the Vikings a playoff berth. If the Vikings would have got a win instead of a tie in that game... They wouldn't have needed to win yesterday. They would have already been in. Didn't Mason Crosby miss a kick that he game? He did, too? but that, that was from cost. 50 yards, and, and Carlson's was a chip shot. He missed three of them in that game. By the way, Vikings fans will hate me for this, but Daniel Carlson just set an Oakland Raiders record with a 94% field goal rate this season, hitting 16 of 17. What's but missed it? three in one game to cost the Vikings a playoff berth. Right. Yeah, that's the way it goes with kickers, huh? And finally, Frank Reich chose to go for a win and not settle for a tie. They didn't get it on a fourth down try in overtime against Houston. Texans were in field goal range, kicked a field goal, and won it. If Indy had taken the tie, they would have won the AFC South, and they would be hosting a first-round playoff game. Instead, they're in as the sixth seed, and they're going on the road to take on... Houston on Saturday. 
Yeah. I know why Frank Reich did it. You know, and I kind of like the thought process and that we don't want to play for ties. Ties are stupid. We're here to win. I get that. But at some point, being that macho is going to cost you, and it did for Indianapolis. Yeah, and uh, I could just throw in a couple Mason Crosby missed kicks. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, really, you think if if he hits those kicks against the Lions, they win that game. Hits the kick against the Vikings, they win that game. Hits the kick against Arizona, they might have won that game. I mean, there's three more wins right there. It would have been a totally different season. There's my three plays, I guess. Your three are all Mason Crosby kicks. <laughs> that's this year. It seems to be the that's the theme this for this season. Well, hey, how about some notable achievements from the NFL regular season? Patrick Mahomes threw for 50 touchdowns this regular season. Only other quarterbacks to do that were Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Both of them won the NFL MVP the season they did it. Is Mahomes the MVP this year? Well, if he's not, who else would it be? Right. I mean, Breeze has had a fantastic season in his own right. I just don't see how you can get it over Mahomes. He's set the bar that high. Breeze has had a good enough year to win the MVP, but Mahomes has just had a better year than everybody. Yeah, I would would, would have to agree with that. I mean, I I suppose Breeze is probably, uh, especially in the voters' minds, a lot closer Mm -hmm. than than we would probably think, but it's got to be Mahomes. Drew Brees with a 74.4 completion rating this season. That is an NFL record in his own right. And George Kittle, the Iowa Hawkeye, 1,377 yards of reception this year. That is an NFL tight end record. So a lot of records that came to light yesterday. But how about these two? Baker Mayfield passed for 27 touchdowns this year. Keep in mind, he didn't play until week three. That is an NFL rookie record. Saquon Barkley became the third rookie to ever rush for 2,000 yards in a single season. Others to do it were Edron James and Eric Dickerson. Those are some pretty good company. Yeah, so apparently Barkley's on his way to the Hall of Fame. If he keeps putting up those numbers, he is. So that makes you wonder, who is going to get NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year? Because you can make the case for Baker and Saquon Barkley. Well, first between those two, who would you go with? I'd go with Barkley. Would you? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it's a it's a passing league for him to come in and get uh, those two thousand yards behind an offensive line that's really not that great. Um, apparently, they're better run blocking than pass blocking, but I think that's quite the achievement. How about this though? You talk about the offensive line. How about a rookie that has made more of an impact on his team than any other lineman in the NFL this year? I'm talking about Quentin Nelson, the left guard for the Indianapolis Colts. Who do the Colts have at running back? Hines and Mack, and who would have thought those guys would be any good? Frank Gore was running. Frank Gore was running, still running at some point. He will be running. He will probably be running until we're both long and gone. Probably. He he ages, but he stays in the league. I won't say he's an ageless wonder, because he ages, but he ages well. So Quentin Nelson has just been amazing for Indianapolis this year he has led that offensive line which you can argue is the best line in the NFL this year he doesn't have the flashy numbers that Baker and Saquon have but I think there's a strong case to be made that if there was ever an offensive lineman that could win rookie of the year probably is Quentin Nelson yeah and that was one guy um Packers.com does a lot of profiles on rookies and obviously 
going into the draft, he was somebody that really rose high. Um, I was really hoping the Packers would have, would have drafted him. They had a need at guard, and essentially they still do. They have they have a few players that what have they started three or four different guys at their right guard spot this year. But they certainly could have used that uh, production. Uh, Nelson's providing Indianapolis, but yeah, he's got to be. Uh, it's it's hard to really you know they got the pancake stat and different stuff for offensive linemen. Um, I guess you could go to Pro Football Focus or Reference for different offensive linemen stats and grades. Um, however, they would look at it to possibly give an offensive lineman the Rookie of the Year award. How long has it been since that happened? We'll have to look that yeah, up. That, that could be question of the day, although I do have a pretty good question of the day coming up later on throughout the show. I hope I have a pretty good answer. I hope day. you do, too, because I'm excited to see <laughs> what your answer is for. Don't get your hopes up, though. Last thing before we go to break, the six highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL all failed to make the postseason this year. Yo. Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, Matthew Stafford, and Derek Carr, they combined to make $171 million a year. None of them will be in the postseason. They combined for just 31 wins wow. this NFL season. That's an average of a little over five. That goes to show you need that cap space. Mm-hmm. You cannot give your quarterback that percentage of the cap space. And you can seemingly have a roster looking pretty good going into the season, but you can't have the depth you need with all the injuries in the NFL. Uh, the back end of the roster players, you just can't have enough cap space spread out when you have it all going to your quarterback. You need a little more of that cap space in the back end of your roster, and these teams just don't have it. Exactly. You look at Aaron Rodgers, and of course he's worth 30-plus million, whatever he's getting right now. It's somewhere in the low 30s. But you don't have that money to give them pieces to work with and to be successful, and you can say that for a lot of teams. So then what's the point? Exactly. Then then that basically makes him not worth the mm-hmm. money because if you're not going to win, then he's not worth the money. You saw Adam Thielen and Kirk Cousins having words in the sidelines yesterday. I couldn't read lips, but I had a feeling Thielen was saying something like, we pay you $84 million to do that? Couldn't believe I, it. I don't know if a teammate would really – you think he would really – Go for that. The, the Some teammates that, might. I don't think Adam Thielen or Kirk Cousins would. That's no. why I was surprised to see that interaction on the sideline because they're two of the more mild-mannered guys in the NFL. Yeah, I would I would think it had to just be a – unless there is some lip reader out there that's already deciphered this code, I would have to assume it was just, come on, man, I was open. you got to find me. You know, that what wide receiver wouldn't say that? I'll say this. How much do you think Viking fans are missing the days when Case Keenum and Pat Shermer were still there? Right. And and the Vikings, man, with the money they gave Cousins, they they have a lot of guys. Um, I don't know how many this offseason, but I know next offseason, there are different guys that are going to be looking for bigger contracts, big deals, and the money i just don't know if it's going to be there they're going to be losing talent and this was really their year and that's why they went all in on cousins and when it doesn't work out like that ooh, things are not looking good you know is not looking good offensive line has to be the number one priority for this year's draft class for minnesota 
Certainly. Yep, certainly. Charlie Bramer's in studio with us. We'll take our first time out. We're up against a break. We'll come back. We'll break down the NFL head coaching vacancies. Who's going to be going where? That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you on New Year's Eve, final show of 2018. Well, Charlie mentioned earlier, one-fourth of the NFL doesn't have a head football coach right now. We put it on the poll last night to see which head coaching vacancy would be the most attractive if our listeners were an NFL head coach seeking employment. Which NFL head coaching vacancy would be the most attractive to them. And only four jobs were open, the Packers, the Browns, the Jets, and the Buccaneers. Not surprisingly, 61% of the audience voted for the Packers, which maybe a little regional bias factors into that. You know, it's uh, kind of a hotbed for the Packers up here. There's definitely got to be some truth to that, though. I mean, and just overall, the the better jobs seem to have opened more, you know, today, I guess, so to speak. So the Packers get 61% of our listenership's vote. The Browns got 32%, though. I don't think you could have said that maybe a year or two ago. Browns, 32% of the vote, and then the other 7% split between the Jets and the Bucks. Jets got five, Bucks got two. I'll tell you this, Charlie. If I were an NFL head coach and I had my pick of where I wanted to go, I would pick the Browns before I would pick the Packers because a lot of times in the NFL... You're not coaching for a wins-loss record. You're coaching to expectations and to standards. Let's say I take the Browns job. I go 8-8 eight and eight there next season. They're probably going to put up a statue of me. They might rename the stadium after me because the Browns haven't been 8-8 eight and eight in how long? Weren't they 7-9, and nine, though, this year? They had a tie. They were 7-8-1. Oh, yeah. and one. Well, even closer. Yeah. Even closer, but that would be a step forward. We'd be going in the right direction. If I take the Packers' job and go 8-8 eight and eight next season, everybody's calling for my head. Aaron Rodgers is changing plays of the line of scrimmage because I'm the problem. You don't have time to get your system in or to build anything up in Green Bay. You have to win immediately because Aaron Rodgers probably only has five more seasons in the league. Clock's ticking on him. There's going to be a lot of pressure that comes with the Packer job. And, you know, we'll go to college football for a comparison. Nebraska, a few years ago, Bo Pelini was going 9-3 and three every year. And that wasn't good enough, so he lost his job. But let's say another Big Ten team like Rutgers goes 9-3. and three. They right. would build a statue of Bo Pelini. So right. you're coaching to standards and expectations a lot of the time. That's why I think for a coach maybe trying to get a foot in the door or make a comeback in the league – the Browns' job would be even more attractive than the Packers. And there would certainly be, there is a lot of truth to what you are saying. Um, but then again, just having Aaron Rodgers and, and certain you know players, established players that the Packers already have, really makes it, you know, it kind of evens it out a little bit. But there definitely is a lot of truth to what you're saying um yeah you know i mean if you could if if a coach can come into cleveland and get 10 wins he'll probably have assured himself uh a job for a while 
Well, there's a lot of movement going around at the NFL and college level. How about Mike Mayock? He gets the job as the new Raiders GM, and this is a job that initially I thought, this can't be an attractive job, but now I'm starting to think, maybe this would be a perfect job for Mike Mayock because Reggie McKenzie was a pretty good GM, former NFL Executive of the Year, but things got tense, and he was fired a couple of weeks ago. Basically, John Gruden became the de facto coach and GM of that team. It was Gruden's team to do whatever he wanted with. So now you bring in Mike Mayock, a guy who's got a pretty good job right now as the NFL insider for the draft. Him, Mel Kuyper, they're some of the biggest names for the NFL draft. Why would Mike Mayock leave a position like that to take a position with a little power and basically report to John Gruden. But the more I think about it is, Gruden has done what he's done, trading away Amari Cooper, Khalil Mack, cleaning house to get draft picks. Who better to have as general manager than a guy like Mike Mayock who spends so much time around the draft process and knows how to work it. And has Mayock ever had a job in a front office like that before? It's new for him, but, but I wonder. I wonder if this might work. I wonder if this is going to be uh, a new trend in, um, you know, like... The Mel Kuyper will be the yeah, next GM somewhere. Exactly. The talking head's actually starting to get the jobs. Mm-hmm. That'd be interesting. Well, hey, I look around the college slate, too, and it's all topsy-turvy there. Obviously, the whole situation in Miami, what a last 24 hours it's been for Miami football between the Hurricanes and the Dolphins but then Major Applewhite is out at Houston Cliff Kingsbury new offensive coordinator at USC has already declined a job offer Houston has said that Dana Holgerson at West Virginia is their next target and then former Wolverines coach Rich Rodriguez has a new job he's heading over to Ole Miss to be the new offensive coordinator there so while we're talking about NFL coaches and vacancies what have you I wonder almost if the Browns' loss yesterday could cost two guys head coaching jobs next season. One is Greg Williams. I wonder if the Browns would have won that game and had an above 500 record if the Browns would have brought back Greg Williams as their permanent head coach. And they still might. I also wonder if missing the playoffs will end up being the final straw for Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. That's what I was, yeah. I don't think that he should be fired, but I know there's a lot of people who want him fired. And I wonder if Baker throwing that interception on the last play of the Ravens game yesterday... Saved Harbaugh. Saved Harbaugh for one, but could have cost Greg Williams and Mike Tomlin coaching jobs next year. As of now, it hasn't. But there's still a lot that can happen here over the next few weeks. Yeah, and the Ravens, you know, with Lamar Jackson, I, you know, how historic would that be if they made a playoff run? I mean, that would really be something with the with a young quarterback like that who's just played a few games. I tell you what, we saw the top two quarterbacks in last year's draft play yesterday, Baker Mayfield. And Lamar Jackson. I know everyone was high on Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold. I know a lot of people said the Giants should have got a quarterback at number two overall. As good as Saquon's been, the Giants should have got a quarterback. Well, really, the only quarterback I would have been okay with the Giants taking and replacing Eli Manning would be Baker Mayfield. 
And I still like the fact that they got Saquon over him yeah, for what he's done this year. I, I thought it was a great pick. Great pick, yeah. For and sure. the second best quarterback from that draft class was Lamar Jackson. And no one thought he would be at the beginning of this season. Right, yeah. And, I mean, there's – oh, man. And also, just there was a lot of rookie quarterbacks from last year that played a significant time, and they've just fallen right out of favor and right off the map. And a lot of them will be out of jobs this off season. But how many of these high-pick quarterbacks are going to stick from this last draft, you know? That's they got next year really to prove themselves yet, and then I think there's going to be a lot more turnover even yet. So that picking Saquon, you know, it was a safe pick, it was a safe bet, and it really turned out to be the right choice. Let's talk about the NFL head coaching vacancies because there's nine of them right now. A lot of times teams want a change; they want the opportunity to get somebody different in there. But is different better is going to be the thing. Take the Broncos, for example. Earlier today, they get rid of Vance Joseph after back-to-back losing seasons. That's good, Elway. But a report came out around noon saying that they were asking permission to interview former Titans head coach Mike Munchak. Bad, Elway. Bad. I mean, how's that an upgrade from Vance Joseph? You're hearing the same names coming back through the league, like Jack Del Rio and Rex Ryan are getting interviewed. And I'm like, is that an upgrade? There might be nine NFL head coaching vacancies, but are there nine NFL caliber head coaches out there? I don't know if there are. Uh, yeah, I guess that's yet to be seen. Well, there's certainly not. There is certainly not going to be eight successful hires. Mm-hmm. Um, probably less than fifty percent will turn out to be what we would call successful. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the next uh, the next generation of coaches is going to have to come from somewhere. Todd Bowles didn't pan out with the Jets as a head coach, but he's a good defensive mind. He's one of the most aggr- he is the most aggressive defensive mind in the NFL. He will be a defensive coordinator somewhere next year. My prediction is Chiefs will fire Bob Sutton, hire Todd Bowles, and bring him on as Andy Reid's defensive coordinator. I could see it happening, and I think it'd be a really good fit if they did it. Another one I could see happening is Cleveland promoting offensive coordinator Freddie Kitchens to head coach. Greg Williams has been around a long time, hasn't achieved a lot of success. I know people are going to say, look at Cleveland's turnaround since firing Hugh Jackson. I don't know that Greg Williams has had a lot to do with that. Look at their defensive numbers and look at their offensive numbers. One has stayed pretty much the same. That's defense and Greg Williams' specialty. The offense under Freddie Kitchens rather than Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley, Baker has just flourished with him. You know what you're going to get out of Greg Williams. His track record speaks for itself. Freddie Kitchens is a bright young mind. No one was doing cartwheels for Matt Nagy or Sean McVay when they were announced as head coaches. Young guns, a lot of guys had never heard of, but look at them now. I think the Browns have a chance to do something like that with Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, definitely those hires, um, like you said, nobody's doing cartwheels. A lot of times those are the ones that they can be real hit and miss. But when you hit, those are the ones you get the most success with, it seems. The safe the safe picks are not always the best when it comes to head coaches. Now I'm going to bring up someone I know you adore, Mike McCarthy. Oh. 
I've got a few places in mind where he could go next season. <laughs> I just had a little moment there when you said his name even. Oh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> I do believe Mike McCarthy is going to be a head coach in the NFL next year. Certainly. Denver and Cincinnati. I think he would be really good in those two systems. Both of those need somebody with an offensive mind. Mike McCarthy can bring that to the table. They also need to be a team who can be strong offensively, but their focal point isn't the quarterback. Denver's got that with guys like Philip Lindsay, Emmanuel Sanders, and what have you. I think that McCarthy can take an okay quarterback like Case Keenum and teach him because McCarthy has a lot to teach a quarterback. Aaron Rodgers didn't want to be taught by McCarthy. McCarthy needs to find a young quarterback who is willing to let him be a teacher. He could do that over in Denver. I think he could do the same thing with Andy Dalton, a little bit more of a veteran. He's got some okay stuff. He's proved he can hang around in the NFL. Having fresh blood like McCarthy might be enough to bring out of him some of that potential that a lot of people saw out of TCU. Plus, you get A.J. Green for him to throw to. What Do you think there's going to be any more jobs opening? It's possible. I was really thinking... I didn't know which one, but I really thought either Zimmer or Tomlin was yeah. going to be fired today. One or the t- one of the two. Well, they still might. Workday's right? not over. And either one of those jobs comes open. Oh man, I would really have to think if McCarthy had a chance to stay in the NFC North with such a solid roster mm-hmm. already in place, like they have in Minnesota. Yikes! I think that'd be bad news so? for the Packers. I really do. And but then him being, uh, I think he grew up just outside of Pittsburgh. I think he coached at Pitt. Mm-hmm. And so if that job opened up, and I would have to assume that essentially any job that opened up would have to be his, for the most part. I'll say to your point about Minnesota and Pittsburgh, they were the two top teams that were left out of the playoffs this year. And I think it would be super stupid, not just stupid, super stupid for either of them to let go of their head coach. Mike Zimmer and Mike Tomlin are both good enough coaches that they were just placed in tough situations this season and they'll be back. They will be back. The Vikings and Steelers don't need to make an overhaul. Side Zimmer's under contract through next year anyway. If the Vikings are really unsatisfied, they have another bad year next year, get rid of them then. It's, uh, I don't, see, you just said something interesting that the coaches were put in, how do you mean they were put in bad situations? Well, the Le'Veon Bell thing, that was tough to manage for Mike Tomlin, for one thing. And that was going to be something that I I could agree with in a lot more in Pittsburgh, but I thought Zimmer really had, they gave him uh, his a quarterback this offseason to run the offense, and he had all of his defensive players returning. I really thought this was his year to really prove himself as a head coach, and I don't think, I mean, he just really did not get it done. I think there were a myriad of factors that really affected how the Vikings season went this year. First, they invested in a quarterback. They were convinced, whether it was Zimmer, whether it was the front office, that all they needed was a quarterback, and they could get a slight upgrade with an above-average guy and throw $84 million at him. Obviously, that's not the case, especially when you're working behind as poor of an offensive line as they've had. And you know what would be interesting to know is I wonder what Zimmer thought of giving Cousins that contract. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he was all for it or if he was kind of 
not so for it. I well, guess and the other good. thing I wonder how much Zimmer had a hand in was hiring John Filippo as the offensive coordinator. He was fired after the Seattle game on Monday Night Football. They end up bringing in a guy who worked a lot better as an offensive coordinator, Kevin Stefanski. He was a guy that didn't fight Zimmer like John Filippo did. He worked with Zimmer, and they complimented their styles. There's no shame in losing to the Bears. I mean, they're a good team this season. They're going to be a team that's going to contend for the NFC. At home, though? At home, uh, well, yeah. Going, yeah going, the Bears can go on the road and beat good teams. Going They've done it at home to get into the playoffs? Oh, that's that's a tough loss. It that's is a, a tough, tough loss. Tough. It is a tough loss, but I think that's more on the situation that was put around it. The Vikings were significantly better with Kevin Stefanski. And if he was coaching the entire season, I do believe that the Vikings would have picked up at least one, maybe two more wins. If they were running the style Zimmer wanted to run, they didn't have an offensive coordinator who was going to try and fight Mike Zimmer every step of the way, this Vikings season could have gone a lot better. I don't know how much better, but they certainly would have been a playoff team. And that loss at home to the Bears, that could have happened in Week 5, it could have happened in Week 17, what have you. It just came at a bad time that it makes it look a lot worse than it actually was. And the third thing that I think really affected the Vikings this year was the death of Tony Sperano, one of the assistant coaches in the preseason, right before the regular season kicked off. You know, no one's going to make excuses for the Vikings. I'm not going to, and they aren't going to for themselves. But you have to imagine that probably had something to do with uh, the way the season went. Yeah, I would just, I guess, I guess I'm. Just looking at Zimmer uh, a little more critically, looking at it as, you know, Mike McCarthy lost his job, then how the heck do some of these other guys keep their jobs? And I, and I guess that's just how it works, different franchises, different philosophies. But um, there's it's, it, 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 it's just strange to me to think that Zimmer would have on his coaching staff an offensive coordinator that he would be button heads that 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 would but be. did he pick him or did the front office i would if if you're a head coach you've got to have control over your staff i would assume right that otherwise what's the point of being depending a head on the coach? situation yeah and that's that's um that's another one of those things that ownership you don't know what how much they're tying the hands of a head coach mm-hmm. and that's what I really liked about about Green Bay's situation is you know always knew Mike McCarthy had full control over his staff, and in some of these other situations, we just don't know. But I have to assume that the head coach does because otherwise, what's the point of being the head coach if you don't have control over your staff? That's just strange. That would just be such a strange way to run an organization. But you know, with with NFL owners, they seem to be strange people. Wouldn't be the first time that a head right. coach and a front office have not seen eye to eye, and, to say the least. And and I just something about McCarthy, you know, him losing his job. He won so many big games end of the season, multiple times against the Bears, um, twenty ten, twenty thirteen, week seventeen, um, on the road, won to get into the playoffs. Um was it 2015 he won on the road in Detroit to get into the playoffs and win the NFC North Championship? Every single big game like that, Week 17, that he needed to win, the Packers got it done. They didn't lose a single one. Unfortunately, that success didn't necessarily carry into the playoffs. It did 2010, but that's why that Week 17 loss Zimmer just took. 
I think that is a really I think that's a big black eye on what he's doing there in Minnesota and obviously um with how good his teams have played in stretches I could see bringing him back another year I'm I I totally agree with that but just with how quickly some other coaches get fired I think he could be looked at with a little more scrutiny and there is a better chance I think that he would get fired um and and nowadays coaches definitely don't hold on as long as they used to um maybe 10 15 years ago I'd think there was a much better chance he should keep his job which you're right he probably will keep his job but but just with how some other coaches are getting fired I him or Tomlin it's like you would think one of them would be getting tossed out on their fanny so to speak <laughs> so we can get to that break awfully quickly huh yeah, we're well past due for one. We'll come back. I'll give you my three bold predictions for this year's NFL playoffs. All that and more coming up on the other side of this break in the sports panel on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you. Here is your Sports Center update. The University of Miami was without a head football coach for all of 11 hours. At noon yesterday, Mark Richt abruptly announced that he was retiring. By 11 o'clock last night, defensive coordinator Manny Diaz was announced as the school's next head coach. Now, Diaz had just accepted a new job two weeks ago as the head coach at Temple. So now Temple has lost two head football coaches in the last two weeks, and they're going to get a buyout of $6.5 million from both Diaz and Jeff Collins leaving as head football coaches in Temple. So they're putting up billboards for Manny Diaz up there in Philadelphia. He spent less time there than Frank Gore did. Frank Gore was gone pretty quick, as is Manny Diaz. He comes back to the U, and he takes over the job. And oh, by the way, Temple is going to play both of its former head coaches in the next two seasons. They play Jeff Collins in Georgia Tech in 2019. Then they play Manny Diaz in Miami in 2020. UCLA has fired men's basketball coach Steve Alford. He went 124-53 and in five years. He made three trips to the Sweet 16, but he leaves L.A. after losing back-to-back -back home games against Belmont and Liberty. Talk about a black eye. And then yesterday, hockey was played for the first time in Pakistan, the Pakistani Air Force held a game against a group of military scouts and beat them for the first ever ice hockey game played in Pakistan. I'm assuming that had to be indoors. Probably had to be. Or maybe there's some ice up on some mountain somewhere. Maybe if you get high enough, stuff will never melt. I don't know. I've never been to Pakistan. And I'm not planning on going. Not planning on going in the near future. Tanner Hoops and Charlie Bramer with you in studio. Glad that you're with us here on ESPN-UP. Final broadcast of 2018. Get ready to ring in the new year. Well, Charlie, I promised my three bold predictions for the NFL playoffs. Before the break, let's get to them now. I mentioned one earlier, that the Saints will play the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Is that a... Is that See, that's a good prediction. I don't know how bold it is. I think that's a smart prediction. Well, I appreciate that, but I think there's still a lot of teams that could contend. There's a lot of teams that wouldn't surprise me if they made it. Right. I should say this. Those two are just the ones I'm going to pick. I still wouldn't be surprised if the Texans found a way to make it. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bears make it, what have you. Number two, at some point this season, Cody Parkey 
Chicago Bears kicker will be the death of the Bears. Cody Parkey will miss a crucial kick at some point in these playoffs. He will end the Bears' season because of it. Now that's a boulder. They that's need a, a new kicker. You really think so? They really need a new kicker. You think you have it bad as a Packers fan with Mason Crosby? Cody Parkey's going to cost the Bears a game in one of these playoffs. I really like Mason Crosby. I just don't know what, what's been his deal with big kicks this year. He's had a, It's just like 2012. He's had a down year, I guess. Finally, I predict both the five seeds are going to win this weekend on the road. Oh, there you go. Now Chargers that, and that Seattle. Is a, that is a bold prediction. Have we had two five seeds that were that solid exactly. in a long time? I'm sure Vegas already has lines on those mm-hmm. games. I'd like to see that. I'm going to have to look that up um, because those might be two games, two good games to bet on. I'm sorry, Cowboys fans, but you're going to be a one and done this season. Oh, yeah. Seahawks are what playing too well right now. They're the used Cowboys to it. won a participation trophy in a way by winning a really weak NFC East. By the way, that was probably the worst thing that could have happened for Dallas this year because it's just enough mediocrity to give Jason Garrett an extension once the Cowboys season is over. Well, if he loses, though, right away in the playoffs, which we're both predicting, would would he still get that oh, extension? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jerry so? loves guys who make the playoffs. Well, that's He that's loves true. Jason Garrett even when he doesn't make the playoffs. Well, didn't you say the Atlanta job just opened? The Atlanta job is open. Dan Quinn is still staying on the staff in Atlanta. Steve Sarkeesian, as the offensive coordinator, is out. Dan Quinn is going to stay on staff and be a defensive coordinator. How about Mike McCarthy going down there, huh? That's what, that's what, because that. They have all kinds of now, weapons to work with. That could be seen as the best job available. I think it is. Um, I would say that in Green Bay, it's a pretty close, whichever, mm-hmm. pick your poison. If you're, if you're from the north, it's probably Green Bay. If you're from the south, it's probably Atlanta. But I just really hope Mike McCarthy goes to an AFC team, so then if the Packers face him, it'll most likely be in the Super Bowl, which would be good news. They were in the Super Bowl, but I already know whenever they face Mike McCarthy, it's going to be a tough, tough game, and he's probably going to clean some clock. Charlie Bramer in the studio with us. New Year's Eve edition of the Sports Pen. As always, we are delighted that you're with us. Atlanta job? It'd be a pretty appealing one. Got to imagine that there's a lot to like there. You've got an aging but capable quarterback in Matt Ryan. You've got some pretty good weapons around him. Once that running back core starts getting healthy, if they can keep Tevin Coleman will be a big factor into it. But then Austin Hooper's one of the more underrated tight ends in the NFL. You've got Sanu. You've got Jones in your wide receiver core, especially with an offensive mind. Dan Quinn's a pretty good coach, but he's a defensive guy, and he's staying on to run the Atlanta defense, which was really bad this year. But you put in an offensive mind down there. Right. I'd say give a guy like McCarthy a shot. I mean, I know a lot of Packers fans, not the one in studio with me, but I know a lot of Packers fans were upset with McCarthy. He's not a bad coach. Maybe Green Bay was just a bad fit for him, but the guy can coach, and he's won a Super Bowl. That's why I think he'd be attractive for a team like Cincinnati, team that has had no playoff success over the last couple of decades. He would be really attractive there. He'd be really attractive for what he can bring to the table in Atlanta. Let's just not go through this carousel of hiring guys like Mike Malarkey and Jim Tom Sula and giving them more chances and thinking they're going to be the answer. Yeah, and and I just, you know, as far as Mark, Mike McCarthy, um, Green Bay was a really good fit for him for the first, what was it, 10, 12, I don't mm-hmm. even know how many years. And I'm going to keep saying it. 
the fastest coach in NFL history to 100 wins. I think that's impressive. He, he's got to get any job he wants. And I just, like I said before, I hope it's not in the NFC, especially the NFC North. Oh, my goodness. Well, I tell you what, we went a little long on our second segment, so we'll cut this one a little bit short, but let's end it with our question of the day. Charlie, you're playing LeBron James one-on-one. You are playing on a half court with a 48-minute NBA regulation clock. Do you score at least once on LeBron James? It really depends if he's giving me the outside shot. Um, he's going to go try hard, too. He's not going to let you score anything. If he's going try hard... Um, you have 48 minutes on a half court to score one-on-one against LeBron. Will you get at least one? Jeez, if he's going really try hard, and I mean, if he's like, you know, pressing right at that half court line, you'd have to say probably not, right? But I mean, if he's giving you a, a couple feet past the three point line and I can hook up some prayers, I mean, one of them's going to go in, but that there's a big difference there. So, I mean, what you'd, you'd have to say probably not, right? Just because, I mean, if he if he's smothering you at the half-court line, what are you going to do? But can he do that for 48 minutes? Can he sustain that pressure? Well, I think he could because we'd both be wearing down, don't you think? It would wear down the both of us. I And I don't know, the guy's so intense. I mean, and being six foot eight like that, I mean... In my heyday, I could dunk a basketball, so I could jump high too, but it's not the same as LeBron James. And I like to think of myself as being pretty fast, but I don't have very good handles. So I think I'd be pretty much, you know, I'm kind of a cut and score type of guy. I'm not so much of a make my own shot type of guy. So one-on-one against LeBron yeah, that's pretty bleak for me. You're not as confident as our listeners, Charlie. We put this on the poll yesterday. They're, 61% says they think they would score at least once on LeBron. And and that's if probably he's, okay, checking it up and giving mm-hmm. you a few feet. Like, okay, if you want to take that outside shot, go ahead. You know? you, would you just fling half quarters and hope one sticks in your 48 minutes? Well, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, if he's giving you, if you're checking it up at the three-point line and he's giving you a few feet to take that shot, then, of course, you know, and I'm sure many of our listeners would be able to sink several threes if that was the case. But if he's just smothering you all the way back to that half-court line, there's no way. And, and you're all fools. There's no way if you think you'd be scoring on LeBron James if he was really going all out. Maybe no if way. Giannis voted in our poll. Maybe if Giannis saw the tweet, right. he voted maybe then <laughs> right. that yeah. he'd have a shot. But right. yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, Bill Hader in Trainwreck, he scored on LeBron in the movie. You ever seen Trainwreck? Oh, I want to say that I have. But I could sit here thinking, oh, no, it was a different movie. Bron's like, a good actor. You can say what do you want about him as a personality or whatever. He's a great basketball player. Really good actor, too. I... I I don't want to argue on that, but <laughs> I just really, if they're going to make another Space Jam, how do you not have Michael come back and mm-hmm. do it? It just makes so much sense. And he could still, I'm sure he could still score on LeBron plenty. Danner Hoops, Charlie Bramer, glad that you're with us on ESPN-UP. We'll take our final time out, and as much as I hate to do it, 
We've got to address the college football playoff when we come back. That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you. Switching to college football now, Charlie. I want to get to the college football playoff semifinals. Two not very good games, but the committee still got it right. You can throw in Michigan's game, the Peach Bowl, a triple header of not very good games on Saturday. But let's start with the Badgers. The new era pinstripe bowl uh, because I wear a bunch of new era hats, so that's the only way I remember that. Um, the Badgers went up to Yankee Stadium and pounded out the Hurricanes again. Two years in a row. Two years in a row. That's a good way to end your season if you're a Big Ten team. Pounding yep. on the Hurricanes, I'll take that. Yep. Manny Diaz, final game before he takes over as head coach. And, and how big of a difference is 8-5 and five to 7-6? and six? I mean, what a huge difference when you look back on this season and, and we kind of forget how really, really disappointing it was for the Badgers. If you look back in time and Paul Chris' record overall and see an 8-5 and five season instead of 7-6, and six, that's a big win. That's a big that's, – that's, that's just all the difference to me, I think, when uh, – that's like the real dividing line in, in college football – whether you finish seven and six to eight and five, big difference. Just one game, but makes all the difference. Michigan fans would say that's somewhere around the ten and three, eleven and two mark because Michigan ten wins this year. A lot of people are still unhappy with the job Harbaugh did. Tell you what, though, I blame that more on Shea Patterson than I do. Yeah, and I, a man, I'm not sold on Shea Patterson no. by any means. Better than John O'Corn. Yeah. And and there's so much more parity. It's just like in all sports, there's so much more parity. So to get to ten wins is harder now than ever. Mm-hmm. And I, if I mean, as if I was a Michigan fan, I'd like to think that I would be a lot happier with ten wins than most. I'm just not sold on Shea Patterson. I know he's an upgrade. I think it's good he's coming back for another year. But can you really not recruit a star quarterback? Well, that's I mean, what Notre I, yeah. Dame's got two quarterbacks yeah. that are better than him. Their backup beat him yeah. in the first game of the season. And that's what I've been saying about Wisconsin for how long. I thought they had it with Hornybrook. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's ever going to play football again. No, no, Jack Cohn's better. And, and yeah, Cohn, well, he was New York State Player of the Year mm-hmm. a few years ago. And so he's going to be their quarterback moving forward. Um, I really thought Hornybrook was was the guy i guess not um but that's so strange some teams can have multiple good quarterbacks other teams like the badgers just pump out running backs what it, it's so strange how that stuff works i'll tell you what let's go to saturday and the college football playoff alabama and clemson are just that much better than everybody else they apparently are the so. bar right now. Yeah, apparently so they are the bar a lot of people are saying georgia ohio state deserve to be in. I'll say this. I've said it from the beginning. I think Georgia is the third best team in college football this year. I don't know where Ohio State stacks up, if they're better than Oklahoma, Notre Dame, or what have you. I don't know that they are. They weren't going to win the title anyways. Right, right. I mean, you can't tell me that you've already forgotten them giving up 51 points to Maryland. I mean, you can't say that and say that they're undoubtedly a top four team in college right. football i think georgia is though I, I on the eye test i think they're number three in the country behind alabama and clemson but jason fitz was on my show here a few weeks you're ago. a big man for saying that though being a notre dame that. fan 
That's that's well, big of you to say that. that. I'm going to throw that out there. I'm not trying to blow that, smoke. Charlie. I'm not trying to blow smoke, but when you're a Notre Dame fan, to say that, that's 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 there's honor in that. I'll say this. Jason Fitz was on my show a few weeks ago. He brought up a really good point because I thought Georgia should have got in over Oklahoma at number four because I thought they were a better team. But Jason brought up a good point that makes me think the committee got it right. He said the four best of the four most deserving should get in. He brought up a few years ago, do you remember when USC started 0-3, then they put Sam Darnold in at quarterback, they won nine straight, and they were certainly one of the best teams in football at that point. But you're not going to get into the playoff with of course. three losses. Yep. And it makes you think, well, Georgia was probably one of the top four teams. They were one of the best four teams in football this year. But they lost twice. They didn't have a conference championship. You had an undefeated team in Notre Dame, and... You had two teams that won their conference with one loss in Oklahoma and Ohio State. So even though Georgia might be the third best team in football, they didn't deserve to get in there. They weren't deserving of it. And here, here's a question I want to ask you really mm-hmm. quick. How much do you think this hurts, if at all, this hurts Notre Dame moving forward with just the way their schedule is set up, not having a conference championship, they won out and still to lay that egg in the playoffs like that. We all thought they were better than that. Does that hurt their chances getting into the playoffs moving forward? I don't think it does. I think when you look at it, five of the ten college football semifinal games since we've had the college football playoff, five of the ten have been decided by three scores or more. And I've wow. got them here. 2014, Oregon blew out Florida State 59-20. Twenty fifteen, Alabama thirty eight nothing over Michigan State. Twenty sixteen, Clemson thirty one nothing over Ohio State. Last year, Alabama twenty four to six over Clemson. Let's go back to twenty sixteen. For those saying Ohio State should have got in this year, that they would have put up a better fight. They were blanked thirty one nothing by Clemson two years ago. And this Clemson team is a whole heck of a lot better than they yeah. were last year. Right. They may not win the title this season, but they were they are better. If you put the 2018 Clemson against the 2016 Clemson, 2018 would win. But people weren't questioning whether Ohio State belonged in there or not. And I don't think they should question based on that if Notre Dame belonged or not. Now, I'll say this. Conversation for should Notre Dame be forced to join a conference if they want to get into the playoff, that is going to intensify. But if they joined a conference, it would presumably be the ACC. Strength of schedule has been the biggest argument against Notre Dame. If Notre Dame played in the ACC this year and they had anybody besides Clemson, their strength of schedule might have went down compared to what it was this year. The ACC was bad this year. Pitt was playing in the championship game. Yeah, yeah. Going to the ACC would not help. And Notre Dame played Pitt. Yeah. Yeah. That would not help. No. I, I would rather see them join the Big Ten. I think it's more realistic that they would join the ACC. Joining a conference for Notre Dame, it wouldn't do anything for their strength of schedule. might even bring it down if it was this year's ACC. The only thing would be not having to play that 13th game. And the committee's shown that you don't need to do that because Alabama and Ohio State have both won the national championship without playing a 13th game before. And and there are a couple teams in the Big Ten I would really like to see um, switched out for Notre Dame. That'd be great. Maryland, Rutgers. I would say get probably rid of some R- of the weak Rutgers. Links. Yeah. Probably Rutgers. Maryland's been there for such a long time. Let's let's get rid of Rutgers. 
So college football national championship a week from tonight, Alabama Clemson against the rest of the country when they're not playing each other as they have for the past four years. When they're not playing each other, they have a combined record of one hundred six and four. Wow. I, I mean, I know the two best teams. That I know sense. we're sick of seeing Alabama yeah. Clemson play each other, but if you're sick of it, beat them. That's the thing. Beat them. They are the bar right now. They're far and away the two best yeah. teams in college football. Yep. Got a pick for next week? Alabama. I'm thinking Bama too. I think this is the best Clemson team that Dabo Sweeney has had. Trevor Lawrence does so much for that squad. But this might be the best Alabama team Nick Saban has had too. Yeah, I mean, their defensive backs, just the athletic ability. Obviously, they give up yards and points, but just when it comes to pure talent, I mean, it's they're unreal. So good. One more point of the college football playoff. If there's anybody who still thinks Ohio State should have got in, don't lose to Purdue by 29. Right. That and then, is where you're not and deserving then, yeah, anymore. And then barely you don't beat, deserve it. Yeah, and barely beat Maryland. Yeah. Maryland should have won that game. They should have won that they game. They dropped the ball. No. Ohio State didn't deserve to get into the playoff this year. Committee got it right in that sense. I know there's a lot of people that say this year prove that we should be reducing the playoff back to two teams. Okay, it was one year. Let's not get crazy. I still would like to see it go to eight. Six. Six. I would like to see a 16-team playoff just for fun because of the chaos you can get in it. Then they'd have to get rid of conference championships. It, so. I think they should get rid of conference championships right now. Really? Yeah, they're meaningless right okay. now. They just cost a team. They penalize them for being the second-best team in that conference. That's true. They really I don't like do. it. I don't, I don't like it, but... I would like to see a 16-team playoff just for the chaos, just to see what would happen. I think it'd be a lot of fun. It would be. And and if they got rid of conference championship games, like we said, then it, it, it would be feasible. Well, with that, our hour is up. As always, appreciate you tuning in on your afternoons. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer in the studio with you today. Don't forget, we're off tomorrow. We'll talk back at you on Wednesday. Rachel Zerby from ABC Marquette will be in studio with me. Until then, for Charlie Bramer, I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette.